Hey, this is Brian with uh, Mid-City Vineyard Church. If you want to learn a little bit more about Mid-City Vineyard, you can check us out online, midcityvineyard.org, Facebook, Mid-City Vineyard Church, and on Instagram, at Mid-City Vineyard. We're located right here in the heart of New Orleans, Louisiana, and we worship on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at 3222 Canal Street. Over the last number of weeks, we've been in a series entitled, I've Always Wondered, where we've been answering questions that people have about uh, the faith. And so this particular week, our question was, what might be a Christ-like response to the immigrant and to immigration? Of course, this is a hot-button issue right now, uh, and as you'll hear in the conversation, we're really not looking to go uh, right or left. I don't really know necessarily that this is as easy as black or white uh, per se, but we're really looking at what does it look like to really try to respond in a way that Christ would invite us to respond. So we hope you enjoy, hope this really helps, and we're going to head on over to the conversation. Much peace to you. are going to continue our series today. We've been in this series for a couple of weeks now, and the title of the series is I've Always Wondered, Questions About the Faith. And these are questions that we have submitted, uh, things that we've been curious about and wondering about. And so today's question, which I don't know if this is an I've always wondered, but it's certainly uh, I'm kind of wondering right now. Uh, today's question, what is a Christ-like response to the immigrant and to immigration? And so this is, this is one of those uh, hot-button issues right now. Uh, I was telling somebody this week, I said, yeah, we're going to talk about immigration this week and uh, refugees and seeking asylum and uh, all these kind of different things this week. And I said, but I'm not looking to make this a, a right or left kind of thing. And the person said, well, then why the heck are you talking about it? And I said, well, I'm talking about it because for me it's not about what's right or what's left because this is not... Like most things, this is not just a binary kind of issue. It's not all white or all black. I mean, there's, there's, lots of, there's lots of middle ground to just about every single issue out there. And the truth is, I really uh, want to continue to seek out what is God saying. I want to continue to grow in the ways of Christ. I don't want to just be stuck with what this person told me or taught me or what this person told me or taught me, but I want to keep investigating those things. And as a community of faith, it's really important to me that we continue as a community of faith being challenged in these things and moving in these ways. Now, that being said, this particular topic right now is very, very political. I mean, people are running on this issue in 2020. I would say that most of what uh, got President Trump elected revolved around this issue, among others. But this was a major issue and a major platform that he ran on. And so here's a couple things how, how I want to just start uh, off by saying is that every single country has to have some type of policy, has to have some type of law, has to have some type of guidelines when it comes to refugees and immigrants and all these kinds of things. Countries, America, Argentina, Russia, China, Afghanistan, I mean, it doesn't, Canada, all countries have and need to have some type of uh, uh, guidelines along the way. And that's, that's fine. All countries have them. All countries need them. 
But here's what we're looking at today. There are, there are two different things going on. Number one, there is the macro level, as someone, I think it was John who described this a couple of weeks ago even, but there's the, there's the macro level at how we look at things like immigration and immigrants, and there's also the micro level. Now, the macro level, some of you in the room are going to have a huge heart for the macro level, like you really feel very drawn to, to seeing uh, reform come about, you really have a, a, a heart to see at the biggest level, at the, at the highest level, change take place, positive change uh, for the ways that this should be done. And others of you uh, might not have the heart for that so much, but we all will be faced with these kinds of issues at the micro level. That is in our own neighborhood, our own neighbor, our own, our own uh, the parents of our uh, of children that our kids are friends with at school, all these kinds of things. We all have micro-level responses that we are very much to be engaged with on a daily basis. I mean, we are, we're all going to experience that. Now, here's the thing. So that you understand clearly that I'm not taking a right or a left here, but I'm trying to find the Christ ground. Uh, let's look at the last two presidents and how this works. Because uh, whether you know it or not, the numbers reveal that there's, there's stuff going on all across the board on the right and the left. Between 2009 and 2016, the Obama administration oversaw the deportation of a record number, 2.4 million immigrants. So there's a lot up in, up in the air right now about what President Trump is doing. But the, just so you know that on the other side, that President Obama, his administration oversaw the deportation of 2.5 million immigrants. Now, at the same time, President Trump is doing a lot of things right now. Uh, uh, one of the things that I personally think that uh, is a disadvantage to him, he, he would consider it an advantage, uh, but it is, is his um, Twitter handle. Because <laughs> this dude here. But uh, he tweeted out, illegal immigrants, no matter how bad they may be, they pour into and infest our country like MS-13. MS-13 is one of the most vile and violent gangs uh, on the face of the planet, which is based out of, I believe it's El Salvador. Now, check this out, uh, and here's where we have to really be careful, because the narrative right now in our country is that immigrants, people pouring into this specific country, are evil, they're vile, they're child molesters, they're rapists, uh, they're drug lords, they're gangsters, all these kinds of things. That's the narrative. In 2017, 310,000 immigrants were deported. Of, of, of those 310,000, 279 of them had gang affiliations. So 279 out of 310,000, that is 0.09% of those deported in 2017 were actually active in gangs. 0.09%. But the, the narrative today would have you believe that it would be 90%. As opposed, so there's there's things going on on both sides here at this particular moment. Right now, yeah. Yes. Those and and those that are uh, undocumented, okay. uh, those that are undocumented, those are the ones that are deported. Currently, there are fifty-two thousand folks, and and here's here's the deal. I'm going to let you know how, how I'm going to how I'm going to do this. They are undocumented citizens, 52,000 right now in uh, detention centers. But this is the last time I'm going to call them undocumented. From this point on, I'm going to call them brothers and sisters because they're brothers and sisters. Okay. 
16 out of 34 centers located in Texas have been previously cited by Texas officials with having over 150 health violations. So there are things going on. There's 52,000 people in these detention centers, but there's a lot of inhumane treatment going on. Not, not all across the board, but there's a lot of inhumane treatment going across the board. Now, why am I going to call them brothers and sisters from this point on? This is the, this is the meat and potatoes today, and this is what is going to be so important for us. When Jesus came to the planet, Christ in the flesh. Do you remember what the message of Jesus the Christ was? He, the very first words out of his mouth in his public ministry were, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven, also known as the kingdom of God, is at hand. Now here, you have to understand something that is so important. And I've, I've taught this before, and so if you have a vivid and, and vibrant um, um, memory, then you will remember this. But if you don't, like most of us, you'll be like, oh, that's right. I think you've mentioned this before. I mention it just about every week. You just I flip it in different ways. You might not know it. But here's the thing. Jesus' message was incredibly political because there was a kingdom, so to speak, that people lived their lives according to. And we would call that the kingdom of the world. So I'm going to show you a couple slides here so that we can do this together. But the kingdom of the world is the kingdom in which people live in. Now, the kingdom of the world could be, uh, at that time, Jesus was in modern, uh, he was in Palestine at the time. And so there was a particular way that people chose to live. Today, there's uh, the kingdom of the world, America's way of doing things. There's China's way of doing things. There's Russia's way of doing things. There's Argentina's way of doing things. There's, there's Afghanistan's way of doing things. But all of them operate according to kingdom of the world principles. Now, some of those principles are things like this. A kingdom of the world principle would be something like self-preservation. I must preserve self at all cost. I am the most important person in this equation, and so I must preserve self. Uh, power over. The way I preserve self is I make sure I exercise power over other people. Think about this in your workplace. Has anyone ever exercised power over you so that they could maintain their position of, of power and they will keep you under the thumb? Or maybe you've seen it done to a friend of yours. Or maybe you've done it to someone else, perhaps. Security. At all costs, I must make sure that I am secure. No one else is going to look out for my security. I will have to maintain my security. Uh, I never have enough. In the kingdom of the world, the way we operate is from a, whether you realize this or not, most people operate from a spirit of um, and I don't mean like a, a, I'm not talking like weird, but just an overall vibe of you can't have enough. You can never have enough. You have to keep getting, getting, getting because you'll never have enough. Pride, a way, another way of keeping oneself on top. Envy is a way of, oh, how come they have what I don't have and I want what they have and they don't have. And I, strength, the kingdom of the world operates according to to be stronger is to be better. To be in first place. Second place is what? Second place is the first loser. And losers are not good. So it's, you want to be in first place. These are, just, these are just a few examples of how the kingdom of the world operates. And what Jesus says when Jesus comes preaching, he says, listen, I want you to repent. The word repent means turn around. 
The word repent means you're headed in a direction that's not good for you. There's actually a better way to live. So I invite you to turn around and listen. Here's what I invite you to turn around to. The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is available to you. And the kingdom of God is God's way of doing things. Imagine the kingdom of God is how things would operate if God was in charge, so to speak. Someone last week said uh, that, you know what, I've come to realize that it doesn't like seem that God's always in charge of this world. Teresa said that, remember? And, and so, it, but there is a way, there is a reality. That's what we're talking about, realities. There is the reality of the world and there's the reality of God. And Christians, people who follow after Christ are, have been invited, actually the whole world has been invited to operate and live according to the reality of God. In this reality, there are, here's how this reality is characterized, self-sacrifice. So it's not so much about trying to preserve my life as it is giving of my life for the sake of others. Now I'm going to read a couple of passages as we go along here, just to, just to give you context and show us a couple of things. Matthew chapter 16, verse 25. Jesus says, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must come and deny themselves, take up their cross, follow me. Whoever wants to save their life must lose it, but whoever loses their life for my sake will save it. Now here's the thing. The kingdom of the world says, I must preserve. I must stay on top. I must take care of myself. And yet Jesus says, hey, listen. If you lose your life for my sake, if you, if you live a life of self-sacrifice, you will actually find that life is more fulfilling. You will find peace. You will find hope. You will find contentment. And to our brain, we look at that and we say, well, that's crazy talk, which is what many people said, and they ended up killing Jesus. Listen, this stuff doesn't actually work until you start to practice it. Otherwise, it's just crazy talk. And Jesus invites one into a life of faith saying, listen, come follow after me. Follow the things that I've taught you. Do the things that I've shown you. And you'll actually begin to experience freedom in your life in a way that you haven't experienced before. In the kingdom of God, it's, it, it, it's characterized by power under, which means we don't exercise power over others, always trying to preserve self, but we come underneath others. This is exactly what Jesus did. How does Jesus defeat death and darkness and sin? By, and, and how does Jesus redeem humanity and creation and mountains and animals by coming under and by saying I'm here to serve and by serving I will take on death and when I take on death I will therefore then defeat death by coming back from it I, I, and then when I come back from the dead the people who killed me I'm not going to come back and exercise a heavy hand on those people instead I'm going to come back and say hey now that you got that out of your system are we good because here I am with open arms of love and mercy and grace and forgiveness. Are we good? Did you get it out of your system? That's power under. The kingdom of God, as opposed to finding my own security and always making sure it comes to a place of trusting. Trusting, which is why Jesus tells us in Matthew 6, he says, listen, you're worried about all this stuff. 
you're worried about what you're going to eat tomorrow, and you're worried about you know, where you're going to stay next week, and you're worried about if your job is still going to be there next, next year. But listen, you have no control over most of that stuff, but instead I invite you to live today in this very present moment, experience life, experience me. It's about trust. Can you surrender life, and can you trust? It's about the idea that the universe is actually benevolent. It's not, there's not this never enough thing that you have to worry about. But if you go all the way back to Genesis 1 and 2, you quickly realize that the earth and everything in it belongs to God. It's all been created by God, and the earth is a very benevolent place in which we live. Most of the time, our thinking goes like, what if there's not enough? Rarely does our thinking go, what if I just have, what if there's just too much? What if there's just too much goodness going on? What will I do with that? We don't think like that because we haven't been trained to think like that. We haven't been wired to think like that. But in God's kingdom, that's how it goes. That's how it goes. It's, hey, look, I have everything I need right here in this moment. Right here, right this moment, we all have everything we need. And Jesus says, rest in this. Rest in this. There's relationship in this room. There's presence of God in this room. There's coffee in this room. I mean, like, there's... There's no more coffee. But, but there's coffee grinds we can make more. You know, it's like, it's good. It's a benevolent universe. The kingdom of God is characterized by humility. In the book of Philippians chapter 2, it says that Christ, Christ's self, set aside deity, set aside being God, and humbled himself to take on humanity's cause and plight. And then Paul says, now you, Take on and be like Christ. Humble in how you live. You don't have to be walking around with pride. God's the one that justifies. God's the one that says you're enough. Generosity instead of envy. We give. We pour out. Weakness instead of strength. What does St. Paul say? He says, listen, it's in our weakness that God is made strong. You don't have to go around proving your strength. It's actually in the times where you are most weak that you most experience Christ in your life. Jesus says, the first are going to be last. The last are going to be first. So everyone who's always striving for first place right now to remain on top, to make sure they get theirs, Jesus kind of says, hey, you're going to get yours. You're just going to get it right now. But there's coming a day when the people on the bottom, the marginalized, the ones who can't get ahead for anything, Jesus says, one day they're going to be raised to the top. Those are going to be the people that Jesus says at the great banquet. Hey, there's a table right here. There's a seat right here next to me. Why don't you come up here? And that person who always thought they were first place, he's going to say, hey, you're in their seat. Listen, you've got to have big imagination for this. You have have to have big picture for this. But this matters because we're talking about realities. Do you want to live according to the reality of the world or do you want to live according to the reality of God's own kingdom God's own kingdom and Jesus says repent this way of the world this isn't going to take you anywhere you want freedom you want peace you want you want to experience the good stuff of life come over here where the where the kingdom of God is live according to these ways live according to these principles live according to these characteristics get in on this every worldly kingdom is a kingdom of the world No matter how good it is, it's still a kingdom of the world because there's only one kingdom of God. Okay? That means that we would all say the Iraq 
government, kingdom, country, empire, whatever, it seems like a kind of a, a bad way of doing things. It's very dictatorial. It's very heavy-handed. It's very power over. We would say, yeah, that's definitely a kingdom of the world. But even the best worldly kingdom is still a kingdom of the world, which means even the one that we live in, kingdom of America. It's still, or the United States, it's still a kingdom of the world. It's not the way that God does things. Therefore, when we go back now, and keep this up here for a minute, when we think about immigrants, when we think about immigration, when we think about all these things, let me, let me give you a couple things that could tweak, but take them home and pray about them. When we say things like, well, I don't want those people in my country because they take our jobs, they take our this, they take our that, they don't pay taxes. Listen, all we've just done is what we have, we have drawn dividing markers. Anytime we use, I don't want them, I've immediately drawn a line between who I am and who they are. When I say they can stay in their country, I don't want them in my country, you have now, I have now, because I do this too, aligned myself first and foremost with my country. I don't want them in my country, America, because this is mine, this is who I align with. I don't want them, they belong there, whatever there is, that's their country. And we've drawn these divisions and we have aligned ourselves with a country or a people, and we have, and, and now what we've done, we've immediately and ultimately aligned ourselves with a particular kingdom of the world. As opposed to understanding and aligning ourselves, if you have become a follower of Christ, what you have done, whether you knew this or not, is you have left the kingdom of the world as your first allegiance, and you have aligned yourself with the kingdom of God as your first allegiance. And so now your country, so to speak, St. Peter talks about this often, but your country is the kingdom of God. Your people, it's the kingdom of God. So when we say these other kinds of things, I don't want them here or this, that, or the other, what we're saying is I'm lining up more with the kingdom of God or the kingdom of the world than the kingdom of that Jesus inaugurated the kingdom of God, the kingdom that Jesus brought, the kingdom that Jesus said, sacrifice yourself for this. This is where the money is. This is where the, the, the gold is. This is where the life is. This is where the freedom is. This is where the peace is. This is where the love is. Come and line yourself up with this because I have called you as people to represent me, not just to your little pocket of people that you like, or not just to your little country of people that you like, but you are part of a much bigger picture. You're part of a global picture of what God is doing. And we have brothers and sisters all around this huge world, which we come to the communion table every single week, and we say it's at the communion table that all the walls are broken. Do we really mean all the walls? All the walls between gay and straight, all the walls between Republican and Democrat, all the walls between uh, an American, a North American and a South American, all the walls between an Iraqi and an Afghani, all the walls between an old person and a young person, all the walls between a man and a woman, all the walls we say have been broken down in Christ. That's what we celebrate. That's what we're sharing. That's what we're talking about. 
So what are our arguments based in? That would have to be the question. Now, in the Old Testament times, the people of Israel were considered to be, at that time, God's nation. In the Old Testament, God said to the people of Israel, you, this group, you're going to be my people, and you're going to represent me to the whole world. And the way you're going to do it is you're going to learn how to love people. You're going to learn how to extend kindness. You're going to learn how to show mercy. You're going to learn how to only worship me as your God so other people see this. And one of the key things, this was a key throughout the entire Old Testament scripture. But listen in Deuteronomy chapter 10. God says this, God, your God, is the God of all gods. He's the master of all masters, a God immense and powerful and awesome. God does not play favorites. He does not take bribes. God makes sure that orphans and widows are treated fairly, takes loving care of foreigners by seeing that they get food and clothing. You must treat foreigners with the same loving care. Remember, Israel, you once were foreigners in a foreign land in Egypt. And so God's people had once been in a different land that they didn't belong in. God set them free, rescued them. And so God's one of his main things was when foreigners come into your land, take care of them. This was the people of Israel. I'm talking about ancient Israel. In Exodus chapter 22, God says, Don't abuse or take advantage of strangers. Remember, you were once strangers. Now, there are some in politics today and in the church today who would say, Well, that was Israel's mandate, and now America is God's people, and that's America's mandate. But that is not the case. We find that nowhere in Scripture. What happens is, you know, America didn't exist some 2,000 years ago to take Israel's place. What happens is now America is a country. It operates according to policies and laws and guidelines, and some of them are really good and some of them are really bad. And the ones that are really bad, we should be standing up and speaking and, and, and seeing change in those. And the ones that are really good, fantastic. But it's not America's job to do what God has called the church to do. It's the church's job. Today, the church has the same, and the church is people who follow Christ. The church has the, the role that Israel once played to follow Christ and do the things of Christ. There is an actual response of the church that Jesus says, listen, those things that I wanted Israel to do, those are the things I want you to do, you worship one God. You practice kindness. You are my body. You practice forgiveness. You extend mercy. You be filled with grace and spirit. You be generous. You don't worry about first place, but you be people who trust. You be people who understand it's a benevolent universe and you can have power under because God is the one who fights for you. Matthew 25, 35 that Sean read earlier. Jesus' words to his followers. The king is going to say to those on the right, come on in. You're blessed of the Father. Take what's coming to you in this kingdom. It's been ready for you since the foundation, and here's why. There was a time when I was hungry, and you fed me. There was a time I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. There was a time where I was hum homeless, and you gave me a room. There was a time where I was shivering, and you gave me clothes. There was a time when I was sick, and you stopped by to visit me. There was a time that I was in prison, and you came to see me. When did we ever do that for you, Jesus? Anytime you did it for anyone who was in that position, you did it for me. That's what Jesus says. 
in Hebrews chapter 13, I think this is one of my favorite passages, but the writer of Hebrews says, listen, don't ever forget to show hospitality to strangers. Because by doing so, you might have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. (laughs) The writer says, listen, don't ever pass up an opportunity to be and to show and to do good to a stranger because you never know. Basically, the ancient church fathers said that you will never lock eyes with someone that doesn't bear the image of the Christ on their soul. So anytime you extend a hand of mercy to anyone, you're extending a hand of mercy to Christ, Christ's self. Galatians chapter 3, St. Paul tells us, he says, listen, remember, there is no longer in Christ, there is no longer a Jew or a Gentile. There is no longer a slave person or a free person. There is no longer a male or a female. Today, if St. Paul was writing this, he would say, listen, Dear church, remember, there is no longer an American or an El Salvadorian or a a, a Canadian and an Afghani. All of these divisions between human beings have been broken down. There are physical borders that have been drawn on maps by human beings, but there are no divisions between human beings. We are all brothers and sisters in Christ. So all 52,000, all 52,000, of those that are in detention centers today are brothers and sisters. Documented or undocumented, they're brothers and sisters. All thousands and thousands of those that are in OPP today, those are brothers and sisters. Criminals are not, and most of them are if they're in OPP. Brothers and sisters. Where did the, divide, where did the dividing lines of, of the table start and stop? We, we don't get to choose that. Jesus says, I'm destroying the lines. Well, so should we not have laws? No, we should have laws. I, are there still going to be deportations? There are still going to be deportations. Okay. But what is your role? And what is my role? First off, I want to say that it starts with our thinking. And I, I've got to encourage you, do not buy into the narrative that is being shaped. Do not buy into the narrative because as soon as you buy into the narrative that every person that's trying to come across the border is here to kill you or to hurt you or to join MS-13, you have bought into the wrong narrative. You've not bought into the narrative of Christ. The truth is there are so many people that are trying to get across the borders that are running from poverty, hunger, sickness, oppression. That's the majority. That is the majority of the folks. Well, how, how, do, how do I know the difference? We'll just treat everybody like Christ would treat them then. You don't, have to, you don't have to try to figure it out. But you have to wrestle with it. Because if we don't wrestle with it and we don't start in our mind, then we just buy into the narrative and we just chalk everybody up as different than us. When Jesus says, I'm breaking down the walls. I really don't see Personally, I don't see. I've tried on all these issues to give you two sides of the coin. You know, next week I think we're going to talk about heaven and hell, and I'm going to give you a case for how they could be real and how a case for how they could be figurative. I'm trying to give you both sides of the coins. I don't see two sides of the coin on this one. I I don't see two Christ-like approaches to people. I see one Christ-like approach, 
and it starts here. You got to get your thinking, and then it moves, and then it moves into our actions. Someone told me the other day, they're like, well, you know, when I watch the news, I, I, I think that all these people, blah, 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 blah. But when I have a person in front of me, a brother or sister from another place, it's different. Of course it's different because it's a human being that you're face to face with. Put a face to every single person. Don't buy into the narrative. The narrative is dangerous right now. It's a dangerous narrative out there. And it causes us to alienate people. It causes us to dislike people, to distrust people. To, it causes us to mistreat people. But we follow Christ who never mistreated anyone at any time. There are a couple of organizations that, if you want to do a little bit more research, Micah, there's uh, two slides from here. There are a couple of organizations that, if you want, you can jot these down. But um, Immigration Services and Le Legal Advocacy, islaimmigration.org, you can pull up that website and you can, you can um, educate yourself a little bit more. That's, most of us are missing education. But you can read on these websites and see what kinds of things people are doing in our community to, to help those who have been uh, looking for refuge and looking for asylum. Listen, here's the other thing. I'm all for laws being followed, but what are some ways that, if, if this is close to your heart, what are ways that you could help people find ways to become legal citizens as opposed to just writing everybody off? Um, NOLA Grannies. <laughs> uh, they don't have a website, but you can find them on Facebook. Um, it, is what it, it is what it says. It's a group of uh, older women, uh, granny-type women. I don't know what a granny woman is. Uh, you know what? I'm going to stop right there. Nola Granny's on Facebook. You can look them up. And they're doing some good work here in New Orleans. And then Catholic Charities. Uh, they, these guys, so I became a, um, a mentor for a refugee uh, a, a number of years ago. Now, I, I don't have him anymore. He moved to Ohio. But it was a man who uh, fled to the U.S., and uh, from Eritrea, which is a place that's engaged in civil war right north of Ethiopia. And he spent, I mean, like getting to know this man who fled from Eritrea to Ethiopia and spending time, I mean, he lived in a, a camp in Ethiopia when he fled Eritrea because Eritrea is in civil war. He was uh, fearful of being killed, fled to Ethiopia, lived there for years, uh, and then finally made his way to the U.S., hooked up with Catholic charities, needed a mentor, someone to just show him the ropes. How do you take the streetcar? You know, I'm like, I don't even speak very good English, and I'm just, I'm, I, and this man was here legally working through his visas and all these things, but, you know, whatever it is, he just, uh, where, do, where do I go to eat? Where do I, what neighborhoods do I stay away from? Where, where should I, you know, where can I go to church? I'm, I'm Catholic. Well, are there any good Catholic, you know, all this kind of stuff, and just being able to spend time. And Catholic charities will train you as a mentor if you want to uh, take part in that type of thing, and and be a part of that. I mean, there's just great resources out there, and we're going to post some in our newsletter also, uh, so you can dig in a little, kind of play around with it and see what's going on there. So what is a Christ-like response to the immigrant to immigration? I would say that first and foremost, it's love. Don't buy into the narrative of hate. It's acceptance. Don't buy into the narrative that we're something better or bigger uh, than others. We're, we're, we're all, these are brothers, sisters. Every human being on the face of the planet is a brother and sister for you and for me. Why? Because of this table right here. This is why. This breaks down all of the walls. All of them. And so today we're going to share this table together. 
And I'm going to pick the guitar up, and I'm going to begin to play. And at our table, here's the, here's the bottom line. Everyone in the room is welcome to the table. If you were here today, and I don't, I don't, I don't think there is, but if you were here today, and you're a brother or sister from another nation that ICE is going to be looking for tomorrow, you're welcome at this table. That's the whole deal. And if you're a way right-wing Republican, or you're, you're way on the left, you're welcome at this table. If you know Christ, if you don't, you're welcome at this table. Everyone's welcome, and all the walls are erased and destroyed, and we say that in this space and place, we take the body of Christ, we take the blood of Christ, we receive it, and we allow it to change us as we continue to be knitted together in the love of Christ for one another and for the creation 